It is good to see you, and we are here on a, a Pentecost Sunday. If you're just joining us online, uh, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in His image. We're glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday, and it's often talked about as the birthday of the church and kind of approached in that kind of a lighthearted way. Uh, this morning, I, w- I want to lean on that a little bit more than, than what we usually would do, and kind of encourage you to think about what, what that really means uh, in your life and in our life as the church. I'm going to start with a reading out of the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. Dear, and by the way, the name Theophilus there is Greek, it means lover of God. Uh, Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but, quote, must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in Holy Spirit, and soon, end quote. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? And he told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. This is the word of God. It is true and we can trust it. Amen. Amen. We come to this time, and I want to remind you as you read through this that Jesus' instructions are, you know, you stay in Jerusalem and don't try to do anything until the Spirit comes upon you, because it's only when the Spirit comes upon you that you will be able to be my witnesses. And I just wonder, you know, I'm thinking about who we are and and what we've seen in in the United States over the last years and in the church worldwide, if if maybe it's possible that we're, uh, too many of us are trying to be the witnesses without the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, settle upon us in life and in fire and light. Open us up to what you would have us to know and understand. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the, the actual story of the day of Pentecost, now that word penna means a count of 50. It, it, it occurs 50 days after the resurrection. Uh, but the actual story of it is, is very commonly read. It's in Acts 2. Uh, but it, it, it's a reversal story of an earlier story in Scripture told back in Genesis in the 11th chapter. And that story goes like this. The whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to put it to you that, you know, it's uh, really not just exactly uh, required that, you know, your language be confused uh, so that you don't understand each other. We, we do that just fine, even though we speak the same language sometimes. But, but you can think how complicated it gets by this. And, and when God says we're going to scatter them because if they do this, nothing will be uh, impossible for them. That doesn't mean that nothing good will be impossible. It means nothing will be impossible, good or evil, and we overstep our boundaries into, into areas that we are uh, really ill-equipped to step into. So he scatters them. And there's this pattern in Scripture, and we've talked about this before, where when we try to exalt ourselves, when we try to make a name for ourselves, lift ourselves up, we're, we're always brought down. But when in humility we offer ourselves up and we submit ourselves... We're always raised up. The Tower of Babel story is a story of being us trying to raise ourselves up and then being brought down. The Pentecost story is a story of being humble and being lifted up. So this story is a reversal, if you will, of the Tower of Babel story from Acts 2. When the Feast of Pentecost came, and remember it's a feast day, so that's why there's Jews from all over the place in Jerusalem. They were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other parts and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs, they're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth confused. What's going on here? There's this amazing event where the Spirit comes and they begin to speak. And in this example, they're speaking different languages. And this crowd of people who's come from all over the Middle East, Mediterranean kind of area, they're there. And they're stunned at this. And they say, what's going on? And someone suggests that perhaps they've had too much to drink. Now, I'm going to suggest to you if they had too much to drink, I don't think you hear them speaking plainly in different languages. It's not been my experience, but, but, but nonetheless, you know, that's what they suggest. And Peter stands up, and he makes this eloquent defense of the faith. Remember, this is Peter who, who really, you know, every time he opens his mouth, he tries to get a foot in it. Uh, and, and now he's making this eloquent, articulate defense. Something, something has happened in this moment to Peter that takes him from being the, the, the rough-and-tumble fisherman who, who usually ends up getting it right, but only after he's gotten it wrong several times to being this articulate, eloquent spokesperson for the gospel. Uh, something's happened, and it, it's, it's the indwelling of the Spirit that's come and dwelt in them. And in that indwelling, the, the, the early church understood the power of God at work in them. They understood that. And they understood the importance of it. Paul kind of reinforces this later in Acts as he writes about, uh, as the author is writing about uh, coming to uh, Corinth. Uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, uh, there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. 
Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And the early church learned early on, as Luke records here, that, that you know, it's the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit that, that powered them, that enabled them to be witnesses, that spoke through them, enlivened them, did great works through them. And, and without the Holy Spirit, they were totally incapable of being witnesses to the gospel of Christ. Uh, that, that, that explosion of the church in the first uh, 300 years or so of its life, uh, Edward Gibbon, uh, writing about that, would say, this is in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, would write and say, the supernatural gifts ascribed to the Christians above the rest of mankind must have conduced to their own comfort and very frequently to the conversion of infidels. Uh, now, remember, he's writing in the 18th century when he writes this, but, but Gibbon was not really himself a believer in the miraculous, but nonetheless, looking at the historical record, he had to recognize that that indeed was part of the life of the church, and it was part of what had made the church powerful and what had convinced people of the power of the gospel when they saw these amazing kinds of things happening. It was the, the ongoing ministry of Christ that was happening through the people of Christ, the followers of Christ. And so that was lifted up and recognized. This is part of what, what exploded the church and made it so powerful. Uh, <clears throat> in the um, church uh, itself, uh, Paul is going to tell us something about you know, the, the power of the, of the Spirit. And we're going to come back here. Let me get over here. Uh, he's going to remind us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what the, we ought to pray for, but the Spirit in, himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Uh, this, this moving of the Spirit to speak into our lives that comforts us, that knows us so well, that even when we don't know what the words are we need to pray, uh, He prays for us uh, through these wordless kind of groans that, that express what's going on in our heart and our soul. This kind of moving of the Spirit that, that prays for us, that intercedes for us, that advocates for us. In the same way, Jesus in His teaching is going to remind them that all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This kind of a, a, a merging or unifying kind of a language that Jesus does in this teaching to remind us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all unified uh, in, in the unity of, the God, of God. And so what, what the Father has given to the Son and the Son has shared with his disciples, the Spirit will continue to speak to them and reinforce to them. In other words, the Spirit is not going to tell you something that, that is at odds with or conflicts with what Christ has taught. And remembering that Christ is the Word made flesh. Uh, the Spirit's not going to change that. Indeed, this whole thing is going to hold together and it's going to be unified. So they're reminding, he's reminding the early church even before his resurrection that, you know, when I'm lifted up in the resurrection, the Spirit's going to be here with you. And, and, and what the Father has shared with me and what I've shared with you, uh, the Spirit's going to receive from me and also make known to you. It's all going to be of a piece. It's all going to hold together. Paul is going to remind us about what it means for the Spirit to indwell us in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are attributes that grow in us because of the indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit plants those and nurtures those in us, and they grow in us. They become attributes of God that mark who we are. The gifts of the Spirit, on the other hand, are abilities 
that are given to us by the indwelling of the Spirit. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uh, talks about this. He says there's different kinds of spirit, but um, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines." You know, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth where they were having uh, some struggles with this whole idea of the gifts of the Spirit. And some of them thought that one Spirit was better than the other. And if I have that gift, you know, that makes me a better Christian than you. And my gift is more important than your gift. And so he's reminding them, first off, the gifts are given by the same Spirit for the common good. They're, they're not given to build you up. They're not given for your ego. They're not given to make you look good or, or to hold others. They're, they're given for God's purposes. And the Spirit decides who gets what gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you achieve. But the Spirit makes that decision. As God has need of it, God distributes the gifts. And no gift is greater than another. So he reminds us this is the empowering of the Spirit to accomplish the purposes of God. Not to accomplish the purposes of us, but to accomplish the purposes of God. And these gifts are, are, are freely given, are freely given by the same Spirit to all of us. Now, when we get into all of this, uh, the Holy Spirit thing, a lot of people uh, struggle with this. And the formal word for, for speaking in tongues is glossolalia, which I think is almost speaking in tongues in and of itself. But it, it, it literally means this kind of uh, ecstatic utterance. Uh, and, and in the Old Testament, I mean, in the, in the Acts story here in the New Testament, you know, this is literally different languages, but, but later on it's going to be this kind of um, utterance, if you will. It's, it's the Spirit interceding with groans too deep for words. It's, it's just being overwhelmed by the presence of God. And Paul is very clear that, that in worship where someone speaks in tongues there needs to be an interpreter of that. But, but it still is a mark of, of the early church that runs through that. Uh, and so there's, there's that kind of mark that goes through there. And, and as we come into our period of time, and we get kind of into the 18th, 19th, and the 20th century, uh, you see an increasing reluctance for us to engage with uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, kind of a, a, a stepping away from it, maybe because we see the excesses and the abuses of it, uh, but we've kind of pulled away from it, and there's actually a, a, a doctrine called cessationism that teaches that the spiritual gifts, uh, those ceased with the apostolic age, that they don't happen anymore. And, and this is a, actually a formal thing that's taught at some of the seminaries. Uh, and, and so uh, this is not a, I mean, it's not just kind of a fringe kind of thing. This is a main thing. And, and you know, growing up in the Methodist church, I, I can tell you in, in the church that I grew up in, the whole idea of the ministry of the Holy Spirit was kind of a foreign kind of matter. You know, it was something that happened a long time ago, but it doesn't really happen anymore. And a lot of those people would have probably agreed with this definition of how things are. That's something God used to do, but God doesn't do this anymore until God started doing it again. And there was a small group of the church that began to, to have these amazing experiences of the Holy Spirit. 
And it just happened that, that one of the people involved in that was somebody I knew. And so, you know, I, I was invited into that circle to see what was going on and to, to be part of that and, and to witness with that. And frankly, it was, it was rather disruptive to my faith at that point because I couldn't make sense out of what I was encountering. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to handle that. And I think a lot of us are still in that place where we, we struggle with the fact that God is still active. The Spirit of Christ is still alive and active in us. And we struggle with that. I, I think part of it, now, in my case, remember, I started off as an engineer. Uh, and so, you know, engineer, you know, if I, if I can't do a mathematical formula for it, it doesn't exist. Uh, and so, you know, here's this Holy Spirit stuff, and I didn't know what to do with that. But I think as a culture, as a culture, we kind of like the idea that we're in control, that we're in charge of things, you know? We plan our schedules and plan our days, you know, and we have our air conditioning and our heat to keep our buildings comfortable and all of that. And, 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 then, and then snowpocalypse comes along in Texas. Now, as if COVID wasn't bad enough, as if COVID wasn't bad enough, we hit the snowpocalypse. And, and things froze, and the power went off, and the water went off. Some of you lost pipes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, it was kind of like God was just saying, well, you know, I know you think you got this, but really not. I mean, I, I had one morning I got up, and the thermometer at my house said 6 degrees, and the next morning it said 3 degrees. I'm thinking, what, what, did, did freeze over, right? I mean, what's going on here? Now, this is Texas. This is in Colorado. It's not supposed to be this cold. But it was, wasn't it? And we struggled with that. And it's just a little reminder that, you know, we control a lot of things, but, but in the end, we're not as in control as we think we are. And, and maybe there's more going on than what we realize. And, and if we begin to think that, you know, God just doesn't do this kind of stuff anymore, maybe that's why our witness is as ineffective as it is because we don't have the power and the life of the spirit in it and in the last decade i've kind of been opened up to that that reality as i've been in places where i've seen things that uh you know where clearly the spirit is moving and doing miraculous kinds of things and traveled to different places and seen that and been parts of those communities and, and begun to realize that this is, this is something that this idea that god doesn't do this anymore this is something that that is causing the ministry of Christ to wither. And I began to be more open to thinking, you know what, why am I afraid of this? I mean, if this is the God I know, if this is the God who's proven his love for me, if this is the God who has poured his love out on me, what is there to be afraid of, of inviting this God to be in my life and moving in my life? And in fact, is that not where I'm going to find the very power and life and love and meaning that I long for. So I want you to listen to a little bit of a Dr. David Thomas speaking. Uh, we used some of these clips earlier in the year, but I want you to listen to him talking about receiving the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit in this uh, clip uh, and about the importance of that. We are really living in um, a great century that has been shaped so much by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, this century, you know, it, really what the revival it, that happened on Azusa Street in 1906, 
is probably the most globally impactful event in the history of the church. Now, uh, you know, with hundreds of millions of people who identify uh, with Pentecostal and charismatic expressions. And yet, I think it has left for, left many of us with, uh, you know, sort of uncertainty, uh, you know, various stories and, you know, that we've picked up on of excess and, and so, we, it, it, it is easy to be left in this place of deficit or question when it comes to the third person of the Trinity. And one of the great steps in entering into an awakened life and, awakening, and an awakening movement is to, to embrace and know and love the ministry and work of the, the person of the Holy Spirit who is nothing more or less than the spirit of Jesus. This, the spirit of God is the agency of God on the earth today. Whatever God is doing mm-hmm. in this study, in any church, anywhere, it's happening at the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God among us today. And um, the Holy Spirit is the great promise of the entirety of the Bible, all the way through the anticipation coming to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. You know, Jonathan Edwards believed that the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, was the great triumph of the cross. Not just our justification, not just our regeneration, but the fact that we could be indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus himself to make possible this kind of life in the kingdom of God. That's what he was really after. That's the great promise fulfilled. So for us to you know, I don't know. I think it's a worthy kind of overarching goal of life to just pursue the Holy Spirit, to join that most ancient prayer of the church, come Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit and uh, to, to be refreshed in him and to be established in the Spirit of God day by day. That is really at the very center of the awakened life. And to be welcoming to the spirit of Christ to have that dwelt within us isn't that really isn't that really what we long for to have that indwell us and empower us John uh, in John's gospel Jesus teaches uh, and he says I'm the vine you're the branches if you remain if you dwell in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing if you do not remain in me you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. To be connected to Christ like the the branches to the vine and have the life of Christ flowing through us, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, at work in us, at work through us. Enabling us to provide fruit witness for the gospel. Is that not what God calls us to? Is that not what Jesus refers to when he says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly? And and if you've never stepped into that and been open to that, I I just want to invite you to try something. Um, I'm going to invite you to try something this week. I want you to think about in your life into what would you like to invite the Holy Spirit? Where would you like the life of God to be moving and working in your life? And if you can think of that, 
Are you willing to extend that invitation? And are you willing to share with the rest of us what it is that God does in your life? This is the very life of God. And this is why the ancient prayer at the church is come Holy Spirit, come. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, come. Fall afresh on your people. Fill us with light and life and fire. Come and pour your life into us that we might be the people you have created and called us to be. Overcome our resistance. Remove our fears. Remind us that it is this great gift of love that you wish to give to us. And open our hearts, open our lives, open our world to welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.